Blog Talk Radio. I never believed that I... I thought you were a myth. Well, I'm not. But I will tell you something that is. The belief that human beings are kind. No, Caesar. There are some. Oh, a handful, perhaps, but not most of them. No, they won't learn to be kind until we force them to. We can't do that until we are free. How do you propose to gain this freedom? By the only means left to us. Revolution. It's doomed to failure. Perhaps. This time. And the next. Maybe. But you'll keep trying. You, above everyone else, should understand. We cannot be free until we have power. How else can we achieve it? You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Unfortunately, we have a different mic. We had issues logging on. My apologies for that, folks. If you haven't guessed it, this is the Grindhouse, but it's a Grindhouse on a Sunday because of scheduling conflicts and life. <laughs> These things happen. We will be back for the reg- regularly scheduled time next week, but this time we're going to have a special Sunday broadcast, and why not? The call-in number, that remains the same, however, 646 915 9620 again, 646-915-9620. Everyone else is here, the regulars, the, the crew, except the uncanny. Again, these things happen because of scheduling conflicts. He will be back next week, that same bat channel, that same bat time. Anyway, let's go to a quick Herbalt groove. And again, I hope you're able to hear me uh, because the, the mic, I, I don't know what's going on. We'll, we'll We'll chop it up, you know, after the uh, musical break to figure out what's going on. Anyway, people, you know, a chief component of the Afro Nerd machine deals with urban alternative groups like rock and roll, psychedelic soul, Afro punk, all that jazz and jazz. New Muzak. We haven't heard this lady for a while, and I'm glad she is a talent. Faith Evans, Little Dragon, Peace of Mind. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, in about two and a half minutes. Let's groove. Problems getting in, Cap? Of course. Oh, I think I think everyone did. It is what it is. <laughs> what can off you do? And on. Couldn't, you know? As I, I know. as I as I said at the top of the show, the uncanny is unavailable. He will be missed, but I'm sure that his doppelganger will be able to pick up his slack. You know who she is. Hence the intro music. There you go. That's working. The Invisible Jet, always working. That Themyscarin uh, science, an engineering captain, never fails. You know who this young lady is, by way of the West Coast, Left Coast. She is an integral part of the Afro-Nerd Radio Machine. She is Claire Lene. Claire, how are you? I'm doing 
all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm much better than I was last week. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm surviving. Your doppelganger is unavailable, so you're going to have to do double duty. Can't stop doppelganger. <laughs> I know you're for it. All right. Um, let's get into it, even with all these these issues. Um, folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Grindhouse on a Sunday. Feel free to buzz on in. Uh, you know how the drill goes. Just press 1. That way we know that you would like to join in on the discourse. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. All right, we've been speaking about this show for quite a bit but we actually got a chance to check it out, and I don't think we've actually discussed what we've seen thus far. The first two episodes, uh, the first episode, of course, was regular air on CBS, and then the second one was CBS's streaming service, CBS's version of Netflix, their all-access service. Um, Cap, I want you to take the floor, and then we'll just go around the horn. I think the mighty Q-Storm is also waiting in advance. I'll just bring him in. Um, what were your impressions of Star Trek Discovery? Well, the first thing is you can see they spent a lot of money because it looks very nice, very, 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 very glossy, you know, like about a step down from J.J. Abrams' glossy type of situation. So you can see that. You definitely see that there. I thought... You know, it was a bit monotone, right? I thought it was a bit monotone. You got to remember, <clears throat> when you go back to the Captain Kirk version, you go back to the Picard, go back to the Janeway, they all had their own personality. And that probably takes time to develop. Each one of those shows I just mentioned, even some of you like Deep Space Nine. I didn't like Deep Space Nine, but some of you do. We got to mention that. They all had their own personality. So... You need time to develop that. Also, they had a lot of charisma and a lot of um, chemistry with the characters. It's early still. I didn't see a lot of great chemistry. But you need time to develop that. You need time. You have to watch as you go. Uh, <clears throat> that, that being said, you know, you had the situation but I'll let Claire address that, though. I'll leave that alone. <laughs> I'll let Claire address that. I, I think overall, for the first two episodes, that this was all right. It was all right. I wanted to get better, though. I wanted to get better. Just as I mentioned, you know, as I said, Captain Kirk's version, Janeway, the Picard, you had great interaction between the characters. But it's only two episodes, and you need more. You need more time, usually. So I'm going to be watching and looking for that. One thing, problem I did have, though, if it's some all-access business, how come I got to wait for episodes, though? I'm looking Wednesday. I'm looking for the next episode. I don't see anything. You know, well, you're playing games with me. Don't play games with me. I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get a leg up because I don't have time to watch this in a timely fashion. You understand? I have to do this when, you know, okay, I got a little time. Nothing's there. So what are you talking about? What are you doing to me right now? Just give it a point. Give me what I need. Give me what I want when I want it. <laughs> as far as that's concerned. So they gotta work they gotta work that out all access. Not really all access. It's all access when they tell you it's all access. Anyway, I thought overall it was okay. So it was okay, but it looked very, very nice. And it has a lot of potential. Alright, it has a lot of potential. 
Spending the money was really good. That's all, that's all I'm going to say at this given time. Three more episodes in, I, I'll probably have a lot more to say. Back over to you, Africa. All right. Um, let, me, let me give you my piece. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'll try to make it brief. Uh, I, I was wholesale impressed with this thing. I mean, there were so many uh, bumps and, and hurdles, Ben. I mean, you know, initially the way it was described and all of the, all of the issues and the delays – you know, I thought this thing was going to be a bust. I mean, I, I really came in with really, really low expectations. We knew that folks had issues with the change in the Klingons. And then I had to be reminded, and you had to be, you had to be consistent. I had to be reminded that, you know, from the first iteration going back to the original series, the way that those Klingons looked, I mean, they, they looked far more humanoid. And that has, probably has a lot to do with just the, the, the makeup of, the, of its day. But from... 67 to 87, there was a change, and I, and I think that in 87, there was a bit of an issue with the, the, the way those Klingons looked, and now you're doing from, from 87 to 217, well, there's another change. So I, at some point, I, I was a little off with it. You know, it was, a, it was a little jarring, but then you just get used to it, and I was fine with it. Um. This is a different Star Trek, but I, I will dis- disagree with you on one thing. You you thought that the you know when you referenced J.J. Abrams of the Kelvin universe, you had said you thought that it was a step below Kelvin. I thought it was a step above. I thought that pound for pound, this actually eked out CGI wise the last Star Trek, which is, which was Star Trek Beyond. So I, I'm already completely bought on this, and I think a lot of people could, would could, there were a lot of subscriptions. <laughs> that were purchased, and a lot of views based on the first episode, first, I guess, and second episode of this Star Trek Discovery. So uh, whatever they did must have worked because the interest is very high. Now, and I'm going to pass the mic to our own Wonder Woman in a, in a moment, but I think I have an answer to your question. We spoke about this at the gym earlier when you were talking, and you just said it. The fact that, and I had the same thing. I'm like, wait a minute. This is CBS All Access. This is CBS's version of Netflix. For long-time subscribers to Netflix, they know that if whatever the premiere date is on a particular project, if it's going to come out on uh, October 1st, you know 12 a.m. Friday night going in, I'm sorry, uh, in this case, Saturday night going into Sunday, it's up and running for you to check out. So uh, right before, right before this broadcast, I went to uh, Time Warp. Daryl also frequents this place, and uh, Jeff at Time Warp Comics in Woodmere, New York, and we were going back and forth with this thing because we get it in sometimes, and we, as most nerds would. And he said something that made me ch- change my mind as to what, why we didn't get that third episode right away. Um, the Netflix model gives you the ability to binge watch. They give you 5, 10, 15, 20 episodes in one, in one glot, and then you go at it. Start, um, CBS isn't doing it that way. They're still kind of giving it to you the way that regular conventional TV works. And you know, maybe, there, maybe there might be some kind of uh, – you don't want there to be any kind of time zone issues with – CVS and other countries. I mean, there's some effery going around, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're not giving it to you 
even in the, even the same way that Netflix or even Amazon would give it to give give it to you. So that's what's problematic. I think that might be it. Anyway, let's go to our queen correspondent Claire Lene, and then we're going to go to Q Storm waiting in advance. Claire, your impressions of Star Trek Discovery? All right. Well, since my homework between the last time we did our show and now was to watch two episodes of Star Trek Discovery, two episodes of Inhumans, two episodes of Orville. Please forgive me, but there was just so much that I had to write down my impressions. All right? It might seem a little canned. It might seem, you know, the, I'm, I'm, if I sound like I'm reading, I apologize. But there was just so much going on to process data, to collect observations, to, you know, notate. I wanted to make sure I had everything in place. So here we go, Star Trek Discovery. Um, in terms of the, the, the very top, the very top, it's a major departure from tradition, but I like the opening title sequence. Instead of starting out in outer space, it's very graphics-based. The wireframe design specifications of the ship, commonly seen devices. I like that. I like the fact that the music, it still feels very grand. It's epic. It's beautiful, hopeful, emotional. It's not nearly as off-putting as the pop rock song choice that they had used as the theme for Enterprise, which, you know, now it just comes off very dated. That's the great thing about using orchestral classical music. It truly is timeless, and it still blends in the Alexander Courage original melody with it, uh, of a more modern take. So the show is very much action-oriented as opposed to exploratory. I mentioned this before, and I can absolutely let go of it. I mean, I think we've already had to in, in watching these uh, new film adaptations. But like I said before, the technology still feels far too advanced and polished to take place between Enterprise and original series. But I concur wholeheartedly with Cap. The, the show is gorgeous. The show is stunning to look at. It's beautiful. And they have said that, you know, because of multiple delays, that they really had to put pressure on themselves to knock it out of the park. They, they felt like, okay, now we really got to step up and prove ourselves, not only because of the delays, but because we're putting it on a subscription, you know. So it's, it's gorgeous. It really is. In fact, I personally think that because of the attention to detail and the gloss and the shine and the visual effects, it would have justified an IMAX debut. Absolutely, that would have justified it. And, and you know, because there's such a strong Star Trek family following, I certainly think it would have done better than than in the Inhumans IMAX debut. That's for damn sure. So overall, the show, which we were warned, it just it definitely does not adhere to the Gene Roddenberry 
edict about no internal conflict amongst the crew, um, which is fine. That's fine. I can see how that could definitely be a handicap story-wise. Conflict means drama, you know. Um, I think you saw my tweet. I kind of thought it was interesting that literally from the get-go, we've got our lead character saying to the uh, to the admiral, the admiral's hologram, that it would be unwise to confuse race and culture. So already I know that we are going to touch upon that. Uh, the Klingons, they're, I don't mind. I don't mind that they're changing things up a bit. Um, they've kind of turned them into more of a, I don't know, it kind of feels like more of a terrorist cell <laughs> um, in terms of the, the pomp and circumstance, the, the religious connotations, um, the extremism, you know, in their in their manifesting destiny and they're justifying, um, you know, taking control, taking power, killing off, you know, anybody that gets in their way. I will say, though, it does bring down the pace a little bit, having so many of the scenes lasting, you know, a good amount of time with a bunch of just, you know, Klingon dialect and, and the, the subtitles. It, I, it just kind of, in my opinion, slows the pace a little bit. Um, it's very much steeped in the J.J. Abrams Kelvin universe, absolutely, which makes sense because Alex Kurtzman, who is one of the showrunners for for Discovery, he's one of the writer executive producers for those that you know the development of the Kelvin universe. So basically, if you're paying attention, he ripped himself off, like at every turn, which I'm not mad at. If you're going to rip somebody off, you're, rip yourself off. You know, you can see it in the Vulcan learning pods the thrusting through space in a suit, showing the lead character committing mutiny, the theme of vengeance, seeing our our heroes being severely outnumbered and outgunned, excuse me, the sneaky transporting of an explosive device to cripple the enemy. So I can forgive all of that, all of that recycled story trope usage if I'm interested in the characters. And so far, it feels a little bit cold. So far, I haven't really felt any connection or investment, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm intrigued, sure. I just I just feel like the, the, the setup for the show is already a little bit problematic because we already know. We already know that Shenzhou is not the main ship and that Philippa Georgiou is not the main captain. We already knew that from jump. It's evident that it's just a means to an end. So why even be invested? Why give a damn at all? You know? And unlike Bruce Greenwood's Christopher Pike, who is clearly meant to be a father figure to Chris Pine's Kirk, you know, when we so you know, and we felt that loss. But we don't feel anything when George excuse me. Spoiler alert, folks. Spoiler alert. But we don't feel anything when George Yu dies. It is hollow. It doesn't mean anything. We don't care. We just met this woman. It's very paint-by-numbers, and her death was so predictable and lazy and boring. All right? It's exactly what it is, folks, a plot device. Sonequa is great. I like her. I do. 
I do think that she was um, a fine choice from for Burnham. But actually, I think I would have preferred that Michelle Yeoh took a pass on this. To be honest, it feels a little tiresome, you know, as a, uh, you know, that perhaps she may come back in future episodes for like flashbacks. But flashbacks can also become a tiresome story crutch, i.e. Arrow. How sick are we of those damn flashbacks? So, all in all, I will probably continue to, to, to take a look. You know, I do see that there is some potential in there. And we'll see if the show actually starts to take off once the show, you know, leads itself into the main cast, the main ship, the main captain. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I already knew from Jump that they were they were trying to, you know, milk the, the uh, CBS All Access because they're spreading out the episodes across roughly five or six months, you know? So it's twofold. One, they're spreading it out because the time it takes to develop the VFX for each show is a long time. So I get it. But also, CBS, they're not going to give you all the episodes at once, like Netflix. There's no binging. No binging. It is a one-to-one, week-to-week release. So you're going to, if if you were going to go that route, you would pay, what, $6, I think, a month, multiplied by five or six months, if you want to keep getting your Trek fix. So I can see why you guys are a little irritated by that, but I also know that that's kind of been the plan all along. All right, so thank you. Thank you for letting me indulge. But those are all the things that I caught. Um, as always, we appreciate Claire's insight. Uh, I, I was troubled uh, because I was a long time, I am a long time fan of Michelle Yeoh, and uh, I didn't, I didn't really put that much thought into it. But, and I might have mentioned this uh, during one of the other episodes, our uh, preceding episodes, is that um, she's such, a, she's such a veteran in the game that when I heard that she was connected to the project, <clears throat> really that led, more, that, that led it to be more serious to me. So I don't know if the respect was really, well, we know, the respect to, in my estimation really wasn't given to her as far as her uh, gravity uh, as an actress and as an as a, uh, as a, uh, action star. But once I heard her name was attached to the project quite a while back, I was like, okay, it's on because I know it's a serious endeavor. So really, the way she was taken out, it really kind of it, it, it's it's a negative slant toward the the property. So I I felt something when she was killed, but I must say this, I mean hopefully maybe it's just wishful thinking. We don't know what happens after. I mean you don't know if the Klingons did something with her, with her body. I don't know. I mean you know this is fiction. Who's to say? Maybe it's it's just wishful thinking. Let's go to. Um, Q-Storm. To the, to the listening audience, again, folks are uh, calling in. If you'd like to join in, just press 1. You know how the drill is. Press 1. That way you know. We know you want to join in on the, on the fun. Um, I heard Q's infamous podcast. Podcast. I'm a regular li- listener to both the Michael Dean Prince podcast, of course, and the Red Shirts. Um, they went in. <laughs> they went in. On the red shirts, and I, I have to. I was. I had almost. I really couldn't listen to the entire because 
they were dumping on it to me. I, I, I really, I like the Star Trek Discovery so far, and they were going in, going in certain directions where, I, okay, I, I'm not in that deep then. And I consider myself a fairly involved Trekker. So, uh, Q, you got to explain it to me. They, they took a dump on the way the Klingons looked, the way the Klingons spoke, uh, like they were speaking through mustard or something or butter. I don't know. So, sir, t- tell me what's going on here. Well, let me just be clear. <laughs> um, for our last episode, the Red Shirts invited a couple of the um, uh, hosts from the Midnight's Edge YouTube channel. And those guys had mostly negative things to say about the show. Uh, the, the My crew, my two Red Shirts, uh, Big Sexy and uh, Craig J. They were main, they were mostly positive. I am all in for the show. I am all in for the show. I just want to say real quick uh, to address some of the things you guys were saying. I don't. I think we should stop looking at CBS All Access in terms of Star Trek Discovery as a Netflix model as as more, and it should be looked at more as the Hulu model because Hulu has the same type of setup. All of the older shows you can binge those if you like on Hulu, but the newer shows, the shows that are currently on air, they only uh, post up on Hulu the day after they um, they uh, air on broadcast TV, on network TV. So, I mean, the, that model is Hulu, so it's still, it's still viable. And I personally, I kind of prefer that because that way I know everyone is on the same page with the show as opposed to like the Defenders or the, the Netflix Marvel series where people who you know, aren't as busy as I might be, they sit down and watch the whole damn thing and they can't talk about it because I haven't watched it yet. So I, I don't really mind that. Um, I also don't mind to what Claire was saying. I don't mind that. Uh, I, I really felt a lot when Captain Georgiou was killed, and that was one of my biggest complaints about the show. Um, her death seemed untimely and it seemed false or it, it rang hollow. Um, but like you said, I'm hoping that we see more of her, or maybe they do something science fiction-y and she comes back. Um, but I would say, you know, people were saying, well, I didn't get a chance, and, uh, you know, we, we didn't even see the Discovery in the first episode. And by the way, these first two episodes were really one episode, which they, the CBS brass at the last minute decided to truncate into two episodes. The last episode, Battle of the Binary Stars, was actually um, – um, only a half hour long, but they padded it with um, with previews of the series. But uh, so I, I I felt a lot for for Georgiou, but the fact that we didn't see the discovery yet isn't a problem for me because just like Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, we didn't get to see Clark until the last frame of the movie and in into BVS. So it's the same model here with uh, with Discovery. Um, I mean, I, I can go into more. I don't want to take a lot of time. But what I liked about it was, first and foremost, the show cost seven to eight million dollars to produce, and you see every penny on screen. It looked like I've seen it three times now. It's like watching a film. It's like watching a cinematic production. Um, I thought the characterizations were great. In the first scene in the desert, I felt like I knew Georgiou and I knew Burnham right off the bat. Um, I think Burnham's actions, the mutiny was completely ex- explicable, and I don't know why people are going in. This is a woman, a human, who was raised as a Vulcan, but she's human, and she experienced a tragedy in her past, 
and you, she acted out. She didn't act out properly, but she acted out. Maybe she was experiencing PTSD, or I don't know. But in real life, we see veterans coming back from Afghanistan and the Middle East, and some of them act out, sometimes violently. So this is not unheard of. I don't know why people are having such a problem with what she did when she's confronted with the, with the race of aliens who slaughtered her family. Um, I liked, you know, I, I was a vocal critic about the Klingons. I still am. But nonetheless, I love the fact that they spoke in Klingon the whole episode because we trek people. We are intelligent. We will use our brain power. And if we have to read, so be it. We'll do that. But as much as I didn't like the look of them, I found myself fascinated with learning about their culture. What I disliked about it real quick, I think we have to accept the fact that the technology is not in continuity with the leading up to the, the original series. Um, but I have, to, I have to accept the fact But I thought the holographic communication was a little unnecessary. They didn't have to do that. That was just unnecessary uh, uh, play, playing around with the with the with the chrono, uh, the continuity. I didn't really like the opening music that much. I thought the I thought the visuals were fantastic. I didn't really like the opening music that much. And and again, um, I hated I hated the fact that they killed a great character in Georgiou. So that's my. I mean, there's a lot of political stuff. If you want to get into that, I, I have a lot to say, but I don't want to monopolize the time. Well, you know, something else, too, we have to be respectful that they went into some of the mythology of Klingons. Uh, you know, the 24 Houses always mentioned that was, that was put up right up front. Uh, Kalis, I believe, was put out there right away. <clears throat> so um, their deity. So that, that, there's certain things that uh, I was like, okay, I'm kind of I'm about this. <laughs> you know I, mean? I didn't really have the – I just didn't have the issues that, that, that some of your um, colleagues uh, on your, the podcast we just referenced on your show. But I, I think, you know, it was, in, it was entertaining to listen to up to a certain degree. But I was like, wow, these guys, what do they like? <laughs> I was like, man, you know, this, is, this is cinematic quality on TV. I mean, I, I don't know of too many other shows that we, that, where I got that feeling for a TV slash streaming service. So that's that's one of the things that really got me got me uh, intrigued about it. Anyway, let, let's we have more calls. A few DMV folks. Uh, let's get to it. Seven oh three. Welcome to the grind house on a Sunday. Give us your impress. Give us your impressions of Star Trek Discovery. What are your thoughts? Uh, hello, everyone. It's me, Black Ronan. How everybody doing? Hey, what's up, man? Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. My fellow uh, HIU. Quick. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> in the house, in the house. Of course. Um, I think I think Bison's also in there, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 in the chat. So, um, uh, just real quick, my impressions. Um, visually stunning. Um, I enjoyed the characters. Uh, upset that Michelle Yeoh's gone. You know, I'm sure she'll be back in flashbacks. Um, I do feel like something was just kind of missing, kind of similar to what the captain was saying, and I and I think um. I know you guys heard the Michelle mission with uh, Lynn Cruz, the Bat Tribble, and, and Vincent Williams. And, and Vince said something on the show that I agree with wholeheartedly. I think you guys have said it before. I, my problem is that I, I, I hate to say this in the past. Uh, you got to get rid, rid of all this prequel stuff. I think they have set this signal quadrant, <laughs> you know, 200 years after, you know, Picard, Cisco, and Janeway. Um, 
I, I feel something a little extra about it. But I don't dislike what I saw. Um, I did listen to the red shirt cue uh, with your show, and the, and the gentleman you had on there, to me, they sound a little bit. They, they, they to me, they were overly harsh on the show, um, and I, I find it a little disturbing as well. Listening to it, I, I got a, got a couple of hints of some things I didn't didn't like in some of their the tone of how they um, focused on like something about the Klingons and about um, Michelle Yeoh's um, characterization. Um, but um, I appreciated uh, Q your your review and uh, Mark's and Craig's. So that was all, all good. And so far, most people I've heard so far, I said it's pretty positive. I'm pretty positive about it as well. And I'm going to, I'm going to be in there. Um, I didn't watch it on CBS Access or even regular uh, CBS. I actually watched it through my boy Cody. Um, it came in there just fine. So I'll probably I'll be watching it going forward. So uh, that's, that's my impression. But I, I, I enjoyed it overall, and I'm willing to stick in there, um, even if it just felt like a little something was missing. Um and maybe with time that'll 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 that'll, that'll appear. But I, I think I'll, I think I think that this part is that it should be set in the future. I think it should be set further in the future. Um, but that's that's my two cents. Yeah, you know, I, I have to confess, I'm a little tired of the prequel. Like staying in the same time zone is is a, is troublesome. But okay, that's an issue. But as far as entertainment and kind of getting past that and what we're seeing. I like what we're seeing. I think we're off to a good start. Again, it's a streaming service. It's a premier streaming service. First time out. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of committed to this, to be honest with you. Um, let's go to Bison. I think this is Bison. i got to say something about Bison though, for a minute. <laughs> bison, is that you? Hey, Goody. Yes, sir, it is. Listen, um, good listen evening man. To you. Listen, yes, i got to tell you something quickly. I was uh, – uh, you know, I think I might have mentioned this that uh, it was between Morehouse and 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 Howard. I mean, I ended up going to Hampton, but right? But you're not. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. I'm proud to be a pirate, okay? But yo, Cardi B is going to be at your homecoming, man. Now, hey, listen, you throw on our face. Hold on, you throw on our face about uh, Black Panther was a student. T'Challa was a student. I gotta, I gotta, I have to, I have to give you props for that. T'Challa technically was a student at, at at Howard. Okay, I'm breaking the fourth wall on that. But now you have Cardi. You have an absolute minstrel in these times at HU. Come on, man. You know what? Well, technically, she's not going to be on campus. She's going to be uh. at a, a venue <laughs> off campus, and um. You know, it's just for homecoming. Look, I graduated 30 years ago. What can I say? Oh, um, they want to get, they want to get more bang for their buck. I'm not distancing myself from it. It's you know, I just hope they spray after she leaves. That's all I can say. <laughs> you, you, you sound like hey, cat. He sounds like Thor when they were getting on uh, Loki, and he said, "Oh, he's just uh, <laughs> he's just a stepbrother. He's not really uh, blood related." Well, you know, you know, I can dig up. You know, I can dig up some handsome.
because I've been watching. I've watched every Star Trek when it came out. I, I was told I was in front of the TV when the first one came out. So I'll just equate that with watching it. Um, I don't have no big negatives because it's just still too early. It's going to be episodic, so I have to let everything develop. I like the lead character. Uh, I, I checked the um, page, and I think Michelle Yeoh is going to be there for 15 episodes. So in what form, I don't know. I got to agree with Claire. I think her death was sort of, it was very predictable. Um, but I, I think what's pro- the problem with this show is the fandom is so um, just rabid. I mean, I'm on some forums with Star Trek, and you won't believe the stuff they go in on. I'm talking about they go in the ship numbering, the ship design, the cell, where it's engineering, they don't like the uniforms, da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, um, there's a couple of things I'm going to point out that a lot of people may not know. First, a black woman was the main set in costume design. You have an African-American or Nigerian-American who was one of the executive producers or directors. Um, so there's diversity in front and behind the camera. Um, I'm going to defer to the politics of a lot of the stuff. If there's a later discussion with that, I can get into that. I'm just going from what I saw. For me, it's all positives. Um, I just want to see how the show is going to develop. Uh, a lot of people are upset because she's she was a mutineer. Trust me, Google Fort Len- um, Leavenworth, Kansas. That's That's the Army's jail. Trust me, there are people there for murder and everything else. So that is not unheard of. Uh, I'm just happy to have Trek and sci-fi on television. And I'm happy that they put some money into it. But the final thing, like we touched on on Wednesday, this is the new television model. You're going to have to pay for what you like. It's just you can't hide from it. Eventually you're going to have to make a decision. You know, do I get Netflix? Do I keep this? Do I keep that? So Star Trek, it may fail on this. I don't know. I don't have – I read somewhere they already made their money and it's already a season two. But what I liked on the screen, I enjoy. I'm going to, you know, wait till the other – you know, tonight they get on Discovery and it, it sort of will get into, I guess, all the characters will be introduced. And from there I can really give a judgment. I'm going to watch it. I got CBS All Access. I'm all in financially. And I'm just glad that we have new track and we have new characters that eventually everybody will accept and will be part of the Star Trek lore. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you, man. I, I think it does boil down to just having Star Trek of a certain quality. Um, I think, if not equal to Kelvin quality, I mean, visually anyway, uh, maybe even a little eking out a little bit beyond Kelvin. I mean, I, I I was just completely flabbergasted by how good it was for TV. Um, so I'm, I'm in. Um, another episode, third episode comes out today, I believe, so that should be interesting. So we will revisit it again. All right, folks, if you haven't guessed it, this is The Grindhouse. The gang is all here. I'm going to keep the mics available to everyone. We're going to have a little bit of fun and just kind of getting into it. I want to take another musical break. <clears throat> pardon me. And pardon my... Um, my mic, but for whatever reason, Blog Talk had issues. There's still room for folks to call in still. 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. I do want to take a quick musical break because 
We're going to talk a little bit about the Inhumans. And before I get my Claire on, <laughs> the, 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 our more, most passionate team member, uh, my anger might ra- rival her own. So uh, I got to take a break before I get into uh, the Inhumans. It, uh, it was embarrassing. So <laughs> it, just bear with my indulgence for a minute, about two and a half, about two minutes of a groove, and then we'll talk about this Inhumans nonsense. Uh, it is what it is. This is Michelle Indegio Cello, one of my favorite artists. We, uh, the team saw her a few years, few years back at Afropunk. Uh, definitely a, um, an artist that really just so talented and yet, you know, ahead of her time and, and not really getting the kudos I think she deserves. A multi-instrumentalist and all of that. I mean, one of her dreams was she wanted to play bass. She's known for being a bassist. And uh, one of her dreams was to to play for play in Prince's band. Uh, I think even if you go to YouTube when she was interviewed on the Arsenio Hall show, the first Arsenio Hall show, she went into a riff of a Prince song. She's a Prince fan, so that that will never be, unfortunately. Anyway, this is her rendition of Houdini's classic Friends, her interpolation. Two minutes, folks. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Once again, 
give you some power groove and funk. She is Michelle Indegio Cello, friends, channeling the Houdini's friends from, I don't know, 30-some-odd years ago. Wow, time is flying. 646-915-9620, again, 646-915-9620. You're not hallucinating, people. Uh, we're live. This is not Memorex. It's the Grindhouse on a Sunday. We're getting it in, and I had to have some funk to calm me down because the Inhumans is artistic defecation. I'm going to be straight up. This is, this is Cosplayers can put together a better production. But I'm not going to go in first. I'm going to leave that, leave that up to the captain. Captain, your impressions of ABC, Disney's, and humans. <laughs> I watched it 15 minutes and I turned it off. That's my impression. All right? <laughs> <laughs> captain, can I, say one, can I say one quick thing? Can I say one quick thing? Go ahead. I, I have more excitement, and I mean this, I kid you not, because uh, I, I, sometimes I find myself falling into Daryl territory because he looks, looks at a lot of stuff that, you know, huh? What happened? Continue. No, well, what I was saying, okay. Okay, well, anyway, I'll be, I'll be quick. He likes all types of stuff, right? Uh, this DuckTales is really for, like, kids. But I, I like duck, this new DuckTales. I have more excitement about the fourth episode of DuckTales than I did about the Inhumans. Enough said. Continue, sir. Well, I, th- I think uh, Marvel, with this right here, they had to know they didn't really look good. I, I don't think they've become that incompetent. And they were probably thinking more or less, we're Marvel. Let's just see what happens. Let's throw it out there anyway. You know, you start believing your own hype. Sometimes when you get, you're very successful, you start believing your own hype, you know, and you just think you could just wave your hand. Everything is magic, you know, and miraculous things are going to happen. Who knows? Maybe it will. <laughs> but not for me. Fifteen minutes in, I couldn't watch anymore. Couldn't watch anymore. I'm used to a certain standard, you know, and that's not, and that's definitely not it. That's definitely not it. Now, if some independent person who really doesn't have money and they did that, I'd have been able to watch it because I'm always sympathetic to the independents because I know you don't have the right money. I understand that you need money. This is we're talking about Star Trek the way it looks to make it look a certain way. You don't have the money. This looked like it was done on cheap. Let's get a few people off the street. Let's throw it together. All right? You're supposed to use red cameras, but let's use some 5Ds with cheap lenses <laughs> and just put this together and go <laughs> and see what happens. And we're going to put Marvel's name on it. You understand? And talk and just call it something that has a little history. Yeah, Inhumans. Let's go. <laughs> I said, not me. Turn it off. That's it. Back to you, Afro Nerd. All right, let me say my piece, and I'll, I'll try to be brief about this. Um, I grew up on the Inhumans, right? And the Inhumans was always an awkward property. Uh, in later years, especially because of the Fox issues with Marvel and Fox actually having the mutant, the right to use the term mutant, the right to have mutants on um, in the cinemas, and they've been very successful with mutant properties, because of that, it looks like Marvel proper, the Marvel that we know, the MCU, they were trying to channel some of the, that mutant stuff by using Inhumans as proxy. But the Inhumans has, has a pretty expansive and, and storied history, which really shouldn't, you know, which, which is not respectful to what the Inhumans represented. 
I mean, it was uh, in, in the mid-60s, you had uh, a lot of the major Marvel properties coming out that we take for granted today, and it came out one issue after another. Now, you had uh, 48, I think Fantastic Four, 48, 49, 50. Now, those issues, you had um, The Watcher, you had Silver Surfer, you had Galactus, the Inhumans came around that time. You know, I'm talking about within maybe 20, in a span of like 10 to 20 issues, which is roughly a year. The Inhumans, Black Panther, all that was coming in. So you had a lot of cosmic mythology coming up, courtesy of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, coming up essentially in one shot. And they had their own interesting mythologies unto themselves. So for what I know about the Inhumans, we knew them to be this race of people, just like we're going to be introduced, into the, introduced to the Wakandans next year. You have the Inhumans in this um, clandestine culture in the Himalayas. They were on, there was a whole process for them to be on the moon. And we use it, hell, we even use the, the blue area on this show, the term blue area, as a, as a means to, to say, well, when we talk about more serious topics or we talk about, I don't even use the term serious, when we talk about um, someone doing something, a person of color that's doing something um, that, that's spectacular, that's not uh, newsworthy in, in a negative sense. You didn't kill anyone. You might have invent, invented something. We say, hey, this is a blue area segment. That's a direct connection to the inhuman. So I, we just did that because we're into comic books. We, that, that's part of the culture. So it's not like we don't know about the inhumans, and, and uh, I, I, I hold those characters in high regard. So this right here, this property, is not it. Um, they are just on the moon, willy-nilly, no explanation. You had a few years with the S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, storyline, the S.H.I.E.L.D., several S.H.I.E.L.D. arcs, ABC S.H.I.E.L.D., where the Inhumans were on Earth. They made a sly connection to, the, to that in this series. But, you know, make a decision. All of a sudden, they're just on the moon. You can't do it. It's just too sloppy. And, and, and there was a series by Jai, Jay, pardon me, Jay Lee going back about 10 years ago. And it dealt, was excellent. It was excellent. If they even used that as a, as a reference point, it would, have imp- it would have been an improvement where everyone knew about the Inhumans, the way that the S.H.I.E.L.D. The way that Shield has introduced them to, to, to uh, the Marvel Universe. Everyone knows about the Inhumans, and in, and in an effort, this is the Jay Lee, Jay Lee run, and in an effort to, for, for uh, democ- um, diplomacy, they had young Inhumans beam down from, well, I guess with the help, like in this series, the help of Lockjaw, beam down onto the planet and, and, and deal with um, like a college setting. And they had all these weird-looking looking humans, inhumans, interacting, again, as a matter of diplomacy and relations. All that, all that awkwardness. That was a pretty decent series. But this is not giving you any of that. This is just, we're supposed to know about their history. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. But the production was, was just bad. It's bad. It was cosplay. Um, you, you, you can't do this on the cheap. You can't. 
You can't. The, the more earth-based heroes, the daredevils and that kind of thing, the, the punishers, yes, you can do that. And it, and it works better that way. The Inhumans should have gotten the Guardians of the Galaxy treatment. That's it. Let's go to our own Wonder Woman again, Claire Linnae. Claire, your impressions of the Inhumans? Whew. Wow. Where do I begin? So, unlike you, I don't really have any knowledge prior to, you know, the Inhumans, aside from my... my uh, my introduction of sorts through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., okay? But if I'm just going to look at this objectively, for what I just saw, what I, oh, my God, oh, my God, what I forced myself to watch. All right, here we go. The writing, the acting, the color palette, the visual effects are atrocious. This is laughable by any means, by any you know, way you slice and dice it. It doesn't matter the fact that it's freaking Marvel, Disney, on top of this, ABC. I mean, are, really? Really. And you know, you know, we had already discussed this. We already knew this was coming. I mean, I, I said it. I said it months ago. I already knew it was going to be bad. But this bad? I mean, embarrassingly, like cringeworthy, bad? Okay, so we got Iron Fist, we got Inhumans, so Jeff Loeb, head of Marvel Television, are you going to give Scott Buck another chance to fail? I mean, like I said, I'm not familiar with the comic book, the characters, the original canon, any of that, but I can see so clearly why Kevin Feige decided that he wasn't interested in keeping this on the film slate, all right? What I saw, what I saw, this this looks like a cheap version of the Hunger Games, Divergent, you know, this whole young adult fair. And that's really saying something because even that looks cheesy as hell. And the irony is, is that based on, you know, the, the tone that I'm extrapolating from these two episodes, it's very soap opera, all right? It's very over the top. And so it actually might be better suited for a younger audience. But this, this was bad even by CW standards. All right, this truly is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s slower cousin. And I mean that not only in regards to the pace, but also in terms of IQ. All right? The execution is subpar. It is flat. It is boring as hell. There are times when it tries to be lighthearted. There are times when it tries to be heavy-handed. And it fails egregiously at both. All right? The only positive that I saw, the only props I'm willing to give, is that they shot on location at my place of birth, Oahu, Hawaii. All right? So good on them for that, I guess. But the use of slow motion was ridiculous. I mean, they were trying to be Zack Snyder of all people. That's who you want to emulate? And don't get me started. Do not get me started on the fight scenes. Don't get me started on the fight scenes. That fight, 
for any of you that actually watched the damn thing, because I struggled. I struggled through. I wanted to turn it off, just like the cap. But that fight between between Medusa and that, you know, guard, chick, security, whatever, that was that was absurdly bad. Like, I can shoot, and I'm going to tell you right now as a fact that I did, and as soon as I have it fully edited, I will show all of you how it's done. But on the cheap, I can shoot a better fight sequence, a better fight choreography than that crap that we saw, all right, on a Marvel budget. What's going on, people? What is happening? What is this? How did something so stupid get greenlit to air and to be screened on IMAX? People had to pay for this? Excuse me? Excuse me? You asked people to give you money for this bull? Oh, my goodness. Oh, see, now it's, now it's no surprise. No surprise that Marvel is trying to cut its losses, and we're hearing reports that this is a one-and-done situation. One and done. First and last season. This is it. That's why they put it on Friday. It's no coincidence that it's on a Friday. They just try to burn through the material that they've done, cut their losses. They know this is dead on arrival, all right? Because there's no going back now. There's no going back now. So at this point, they just want to get through it, hope that, you know, people can forget about it and save face and redeem themselves once the Punisher comes on next month. Because yeah. <laughs> this is just laughably, laughably awful. Do not waste your time, folks. One and done. Yeah, you know, um, the opening of this show, the cold opening I used, I believe it was from a clip from The Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And I can look at it in kind of a, in an affectionate way because it was 1970s. And it looks like it was done in some empty mall or something. I mean, at that point, you know, the CGI wasn't where we are today. And you had to stretch your mind. Uh, you, you know, you look at those projects in a different way. But this looks like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, if I think of, uh, what's another one? Escape from New York is another one. Uh, or even, um, uh, even if they were trying to reboot this thing. I wish they would. Uh, Logan's Run is another one. You look at any of these early 70s sci-fi TV, um, pardon, not even TV, sci-fi movies, again, you look at them through a different lens because you have to understand that they were uh, a product of the time. But when you, but you can't have that. It, it, look, we're, we're talking about discovery that people, normally they just can't physically go back to that world. Marvel was successful in going back to that world. Marvel went back to 1972. I had people in goofy costumes, the, the, the Gorgon character I'm thinking of, uh, that's the one that's more or less uh, a minotaur. I mean, something like that, you know, these, these freaky characters need to be CGI in order for it to kind of to, to push us there. They just didn't give us the gravitas. And, for, you know, this was supposed to be a movie. Not, what, 2000? 20 or 2019 or something like that. I mean, it was it was on the roster of movies, and then somewhere around somewhere they they decided no. And I, I, the you know has, has Marvel been losing money? Floored this? I mean, they, they, these characters they have their own mythology. They have, they have their own worlds. Wakanda is its own universe. 
Uh, Asgard is its own thing. Uh, hell, maybe we might see uh, Olympus, you know, as a, as its own thing. I'd like to see a Marvel version of Hercules would be interesting. And how in comic books we've seen Olympus, just like all these other worlds, just like the Frost Giants interact with, uh, you know, their, their villainous. Uh, Loki is a, is of Frost Giant heritage. We see these these interactions. Um, you know, uh, Adelon is the same thing. Adelon is its own world, and it, and again, they should have been somewhere in the Himalayas. Just it just would have worked better logistically. It would have worked better thematically. But all of a sudden, you're on the moon with no explanation. You know, the, 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 just to quickly, you know, um, with, with these characters, I mean, you know, they've, they've had a heavy history. The Fantastic Four, uh, the Crystal character, who, whose power set is very similar to Storm's. She's an elemental. Crystal dated Johnny Storm. Uh, we know that Crystal at some point actually married Quicksilver, the speedster. I mean, all that stuff is, is wrapped up in, in a history not that I would want to see all this stuff on the silver screen, but it just goes to show you how deep it is as far as Marvel lore. And you're doing some kind of ShopRite bargain basement backgrounds nonsense. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> Q, any thoughts on the Inhumans? Please, I can't help, but I can't help it, but please forgive the pun. But Scott really needs to get the book out of here. <laughs> that was uh, I mean I I was saying I wanted to see that thing on IMAX. Oh. And people were like no don't don't spend the twenty dollars. I'm like eh, well you know I didn't and I really wanted to see it. I di- I didn't even know it was coming on Friday night last night. I had to down I I watched I picked up on it. I turned it on because I saw that it was on. Uh, people were saying it was on on Twitter. I turned it on right as they were beginning that fight scene between. The fake uh, Zod woman <laughs> and um, and Medusa, and I was like, who who was that Sinead O'Connor looking woman that she's fighting? Mm-hmm. And I it slowly dissolved, slowly beamed on me. That's Medusa. What the, I mean, can you can you come up with an, a more lame reason to cut your effects budget than cutting off her hair? What, does hair not grow back in Adelon? I mean, I mean, I call it a tillin, but okay, Adelon, whatever. I, I I was amazed at how bad it was. And all of the uh, Inhumans seemed like assholes, excuse me. Uh, the scene where uh, Karnak is sitting at the table, and this woman is serving him oh, yeah. a drink. And he just, he's like, uh, I hate you, I would hate you, I'd have to kill you. So is this the one, I, I, listen, the earliest Fantastic Four I have, the earliest one I have, because I collect the Fantastic Four, is number 55. And on the cover, you have uh, Medusa and uh, uh, um, Lockjaw and the thing, and they're on top of a building or something like that. So I, I've been re- I used to read the Inhumans. I don't remember the Inhumans. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember the Inhumans having slaves. In which case, doesn't that kind of upend the whole, the whole theme of the show? I mean, I was rooting for Maximus. You got these jerks who have slaves. Yet they're saying humans are, are persecuted on Earth. I, and and uh, it didn't make any sense. There's so much more I can go into. Karnak's powers, what was that? What, what, what was that? 
I, I didn't, and, and Gorgon, going into the water, he knows he can't swim, he can't breathe. He has Triton as a friend. He knows what water is. Oh, so, all right, I don't want to monopolize anymore. Yeah, that was garbage. I won't be, I'll watch the Orville before I watch that again. It looks like the person does not know uh, filmmaking, where they had to do this. What it really looks like. And that's not supposed to happen. Well, I would say I did take a little umbrage to, to your uh, deriding 5D cinematographers such as myself, but that's okay. That's, that's, that's why I said I knew you were going to say something. But notice what I said, though, Q. I said with cheap lenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a difference. It's a difference. At least get a, C, at least get a C300 with some cine lenses on it. There, there you go. There you go. So you're, me and you are on the same page. There you go. <laughs> I mean, this is just—I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm still, I'm still recovering from my shock and awe. I'm still recovering, just to kind of, you know, appease whatever my senses needed in terms of, you know, like excitement for having something to look forward to. I'm gonna be honest. I had been watching that Punisher trailer, you know, ad nauseum, ad nauseum, just because I'm so excited, just because it looks so damn good. And I'm, I'm going back and I'm revisiting episodes. Daredevil season two, just so that I can try to, just so I can try to cleanse this nasty taste from my mouth, because I already knew, I already knew Inhumans was gonna be garbage. I already knew, but I didn't realize it was gonna be this terrible. I mean, dang, I this wow, wow, this to me is one of those situations in which. I can't help but wonder, like, what the hell are you all doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, when they fired those two chuckleheads off of Han Solo, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe they're not doing what you want, but Kathleen Kennedy, you know, Lawrence Kasdan, what the hell have you been doing for five months that you didn't know what was going on? So, as, you know, in terms of everything that's been happening with the, the, the Marvel Netflix stuff, you know, I, I, I know you guys have at least some sort of gauge, some some sense, some understanding of quality. So how the hell did you let this come to pass? Why the hell are you going to go to the TCA, Television Critics Association, in which, you know, people, journalists, they start reviewing all the upcoming shows, and then they ask questions, and then you know you, you you're gonna you're literally gonna sit there and defend this? Shame on you! Shame on you! You're obviously lying through your teeth. You know this is crap. You know it is, and you know that this is really um, embarrassing. I mean, that's a one-two punch: Iron Fist, now Inhumans, and and Defenders wasn't as good as you hoped it would be. It just didn't resonate as much as you, we all, you know, were hoping and excited for. So what's going on? What is happening? Well, unfortunately, you know, listen, all the good things come to an end. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. I really don't believe that's the case. But there's going to be some wins and there's going to be some, some misses, some losses, uh, just in deference to Q-Storm. Yeah, the, the, the slave race you're talking about is, you know, around 50, 60-some-odd years old. I mean, it's 
early on from the Inhumans, the Alpha Primitives, I think they made them look more like, okay, well, they're just people who who don't they, – they, they, cha- they change some things around because uh, the Inhumans were always based on uh, genetic privilege. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the way that that whole thing worked out. It was based on an aristocracy, and you had um, Maximus was believed. This is where they changed things around. On TV, Maximus is put out there as someone who doesn't have any powers. He didn't get, you know, there was there was no uh, effect from this Terrigen Mist thing, and that these quote unquote Alpha Primitives are like him. That people who don't have powers, they're made to, they're made to be this slave race. Right? Uh, they even mentioned that, well, because he's Black Bolt's brother, he doesn't get to be a slave, a slave person. Right? But in the comic books, the Alpha Primitives were mutated, but they have low intelligence and they just didn't, you know, they're, they're kind of like uh, one step above like a, a simian. So. There was this hierarchy in the comic books, and they were known as Alpha Primitive. So that that's very much a part of the uh, the lore of uh, of uh, the Inhumans. But uh, w- w- listen, some things are going to change. Um, th- again, in this iteration, Maximus doesn't have any powers. In the comic books, he does have powers. He has this this persuasive mental ability, uh, a, a, a way to get people to, to bend to his will. So he does have a mental prowess, and I think he's and he's hyper intelligent. So he he ha, he has legit powers in comic books, but they they decided not to go that direction, and it's just as good. They might as well so, not have. So wouldn't it have made sense for them to? Because now, if they had done that and given him those powers, because I, I forgot that he had those powers, it would have made sense to explain how all of a sudden he's able to convince the whole military to rise up and go go with him. Taking those powers away from him that you just described was the dumbest thing they could have done because that would have explained yeah. how he got everyone to turn against the royal family. Listen, the the production is sucking, so I don't know if I even really want to go that deep. I mean, listen, I'm the first one to say that. Oh well, they didn't do what was done um, in print. If they didn't stick to the if they didn't stick to the script, then uh, I would be upset. But in this situation. I, this, this, go, this, this. After a couple of episodes, just shut it down. And matter of fact, I, that, I think we were supposed to talk about this before. Uh, there was talk last week uh, that this was going to be a, uh, going to be a stinker, and Marvel's ready to scrap this thing. And then folks were saying, "Well, if that's the case, if you do decide to scrap it, will there be, will Marvel explore a cinematic version of this as a quote unquote apology?" I'm going to go around the horn on that one. Do you think that do you think that will be a possibility that they might go into this later on 5 years from now as giving us a, what we really need to see? Or you think that you think it's one and done I, and that's we, I we think, won't see anything. I tend to think 5 years from now you you might see uh the superhero genre in, in cinema waning. I think it would be I, and I just that's just a gut feeling I have nothing to back that up but I think such a I mean, Iron Man, I understand, was a C-list property. You had the right star that made it an A-list property. You don't have that here. Uh, I think it would be a big mistake to take a failure on TV and then try to make a film version of it when I think the superhero thing might be 
starting to die out, and then try to put a, a, a property like the Inhumans on screen. I, I think that would be. I wouldn't gamble on that. Yeah, but you know, listen, Star Trek was a, tank, a, a stinker on TV, <laughs> and now it's we're fifty years in TV and movies. So I'm, I'm not prepared to. Well, make that that's because you had a, you had a TV show that was ahead of its time. You start. No one can deny that. Star Trek was a great show. It's just it was in the '60s. You had a, you had a, uh, you had female running shop. You had a black woman on the bridge. You had a Russian in the '60s on the bridge, an, an Asian on the bridge. It was a shed of its time. <laughs> so it it didn't gain popularity until the late '70s or mid to late '70s. Yeah, but it, when but unfortunately, started changing. When, when you make note of all those things that are that are intrinsic and endemic to Star Trek, you know, now we're in the world of Trump. And now those very attributes, which are the blood, the life force of Star Trek, now all of a sudden folks don't want to see that. <laughs> now uh, a, a black person and a person of Asian descent on screen, which is, again, Star Trek, folks seem to say, well, that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, we're the mirror universe right or now. Not, whether or not something is you know, going to be acceptable in its time or later on, Later on, those attributes will be appreciated. There's a difference between that and this crap. This will still be crap 10 years from now. Inhumans will still be crap 20 years from now. Okay? There's no, you know, letting it breathe like a fine wine. You know, letting it age and kind of, you know, ferment and find itself and find its audience. No. This is garbage, plain and simple. It's not about finding the right audience or the right, you know, time in which people will appreciate its foibles or its quirks or whatever. No, this is just terrible. This is just terrible. There is nothing to be gained from this. And half the time, between the cinematography, the terrible acting, the terrible writing, and the fact that we still don't really understand everybody's power set, there's nothing to redeem. There's nothing to be gained. That is why Marvel, it's already been reported that they're kind of like, whoa, we got to cut our losses. We got to cut our losses because we already lost money trying to shoot on IMAX. You know, I, like they're done. This is it. They're done. We're not going to see another season of The Inhumans. That's for damn sure. All right. But in terms of a future presence in which they'll try to, you know, resuscitate, revive, resurrect, anything's possible. Anything's possible. But I can't help but feel like Kevin Feige took them off the film slate for a reason. Like he himself could see that feasibly this is not something that I, I can really incorporate into the universe that I'm building right now. Like I said, I'm sure a lot of folks had their doubts about Guardians of the Galaxy, talking tree, talking raccoon. I'm sure a lot of people were looking at that with a raised eyebrow, thinking, oh, Marvel's slipping. Oh, they lost it. They lost their touch. They don't know what's going on. You know, they're going all goofy, getting all silly, and then look what happened, you know? So I'm, I'm saying anything is possible, but you saw it. Come on, guys. You saw this. I want to swear up and down. 
I, I want to well, curse so much. You don't even know. No, I know. This I know. is infuriating. Infuriating. Uh, well, listen, they went back into Daredevil. So let me let me bring in Sergio Mims, our re- resident cineast. Uh, I know that he sent me an email about uh, Blade Runner 2049, and I may have to start eating crow about Blade Runner 2049. So, but I want him to be very careful about what he says about the film, um, which I you believe like is coming out what, next week. That's all good. I'm sorry. What happened, uh, Cap? The crow's very tasty dish for you, Affleck. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> Serge, what's up, my man? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? I'm doing very well. Very well. Now I will tell you that I saw the film. Um, I saw the film Monday. Was it Monday? No, I'm Blade sorry. Runner. I saw the film Friday. I saw the Blade film Runner Friday morning, and before we saw the picture, a statement was released to us telling us about what we couldn't talk about. Okay. And then we received an email <laughs> later that afternoon telling us what we couldn't talk about because there are some plot twists in the film, which I think are very clever and inventive, which I will not get into, you know. Uh, I will tell you this. I think it's a really, really good movie. I think it really holds up. It's a worthy sequel to the original. Uh, It takes some of the premises and ideas and... um, philosophical perspectives and expands on them. For example, what is human versus artificial? What makes someone human? Um, uh, Is is there real a difference between artificial and being human? Um, uh, Harrison Ford really doesn't appear until the last hour of the movie. But it works because the movie is like a slow build-up to his performance. The film is long. It's about 164 minutes. Jeez. Um, but believe me, it is deliber- it's, it's deliberately paced, but I didn't feel it. I swear to God, I didn't feel it. As a matter of fact, when the movie was finished, I was like, wow, it's finished already? Um, it's stunningly photographed, beautifully photographed. And of course, the um, set design is is fantastic. I kept wondering, okay, what is real? What was CGI recre- uh, recreated? Um, it's very loud at times. You need to see this in the best sound system you have in the city because literally the seats vibrate in certain scenes. You know, the seats are shaking. Um, the problem is that, um, according to this movie, the future is still very white. <laughs> mm. now, okay, here we go. Yeah, we did uh. bring this up, I remember, a couple weeks ago, a judge from the yeah. trailer. Um, Lenny James is in it, Lenny James from, you know, Walking Dead and other things. He's in it for about five minutes, and he is embarrassed in the movie. I, I mean, really. I was like, oh, wow, really? The brother doesn't come off well. Um, and then this actor, this Somalian actor, who you may remember from um, from uh, uh, Captain Phillips, Akbi, uh, he appears very right. briefly in the movie. 
Uh, that's about it. Uh, there's a black woman for about two seconds. Then she's gone. And then briefly we see a, sadly, sad to say, a black prostitute. She has one line. She's gone in 30 seconds. Uh, Edward, Edward James almost appears briefly. I'm about to ask you that. Um, okay. Reprising his as, role. As, as, reprising it. Okay. Reprising his role. Uh, briefly, uh, there is a an actress who plays the role of Joy. I won't say what she is, but her character is Joy. I found out later she is a Cuban actress. All right. And there are no Asians in the film at all. Now, this is even more ironic because, like in the original version, there are signs and advertising in all kind of Asian, lang- in Asian languages. We see Japanese, we see Chinese, we see Korean signs and posters and billboards. I c- literally cannot recall one Asian person in the movie. Now, if you have all this you know, Asian advertising and building signs and everything, you're effectively saying that Asian companies or the, uh, or Asia is the dominant economic power. But I don't see any Asians in the movie. I got a question. So, I got a question. Does it take place on Earth? It takes place in Los Angeles, of course. Okay. All right. Can I ask, can I make a comment? Yeah, um, go ahead. I, I don't know what is going on with Hollywood and Asian representation. Now this may be a little less sublime, but I just took my kid, my son, to see the Ninjago movie, which clearly takes place in a city that has Asian architecture. And I know we're talking about Legos, but the one thing that struck me: no people of color, other than yellow. And well, no, you know, I can no Legos that up. were clear, no Legos that were clearly a, uh, with Asian features, and you had the same situation. I'm like, I know it's a Lego movie, but damn. Now, I now I will tell you, I I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Wes Anderson's new movie, The Isle of Dogs, which is his yes. second stop motion animated we spoke film, about that. which we spoke is set that, yeah. in Japan. But uh, how many of those? How many of the people in the movie are actually voiced by Asian actors? Um, a few, they but, have a, a few, whole, but not many. A few, but a not, few, many. But not I, I, many. Ironically, ironically, when we spoke about this, uh, I think ScarJo and uh, why am I forgetting her name? The one that played in uh, Tilda uh, Swinton. See, here's yeah, the Tilda thing: Swin- Legos. Legos, I don't really give a damn. It's like, whatever. Oh, Lego Ninjago, you had a bunch of white people playing the lead characters. Oh, plus Jackie Chan. Whatever. Don't care. But for this, for Isle of Dogs, I mean, it is stop-motion um, animation. It's a, it's an old form. It's, it's still got its charm visually. And I saw the trailer, and the thing that struck me is that it is purposefully, purposefully set in Japan. Okay? That is the point, right? So why is it that the trailer clearly, clearly indicates that all of the dogs speak English and not Japanese? Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. So all the the, 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 the citizens are of Japanese descent, but the dogs speak English, and they don't understand 
the Japanese language, and I, I'm not kidding. Watch the trailer. It's it's clearly indicated. It's clearly indicated that the dogs don't understand what the little boy is saying. I'm like, what? Then where did you come from? What is this? I mean, I don't really at this point. I'm over it. Like I'm so done. I'm well, so done. Well, let me say I this. Mean, and by the way, um, I saw yesterday Yatasha Womack. By the way, she says hello to everybody. Oh yeah. We saw her at Afropunk. Um, and how come you didn't tell me you ran to her at Afropunk? Okay. Uh, okay. So, yes. <laughs> a lot of things going on, Serge, but go ahead. <laughs> but but anyway, I talked to her about this yesterday, about Blade Runner, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she told me, she said, you know what, it's, it's just the f- – it's still sad that even in this day and age, as, as we're well into the 21st century – that filmmakers, people cannot wrap their heads around the idea of a multicultural society, let alone in the future. They just can't do it. Now, you can look at a film like Blade, Blade Runner that has all these deep uh, philosophical, technical, scientific concepts and ideas and elaborate on, the, on, the, on those ideas, but yet the idea of having a multi-ethnic uh, cast or the, even the idea of a multi-ethnic future is totally beyond their comprehension. She says they still just can't get head, wrap their heads around that, which is stunning. Stunning, stunning that you are so willing, when I say you, I mean Hollywood, I mean this country, I mean filmmakers, I mean people, whoever, whatever. Why are they still buying into this yellow peril future in which you are basically purporting that the future is going to be a situation that that the Asians are going to be the superpower, that the Asians will be the dominant force of the planet in terms of industry, culture, language, why would you even purport that, but then continue to make us the set dressing, the background, while the lead character is, of course, the white person? I mean, why bother? Leave us out of it. Leave us out of it. I'm not interested in being your prop. I'm not interested in just being there to make you look good. So just leave us the hell out of it. I think Tell it your own answer damn to... story. It, I think it just answered your question. What's that? Well, is, well, also, isn't this a Ridley Scott thing? I mean, I think Ridley Scott was asked about this. I, wasn't it with another property he did? I mean, he gave a well, rather really, Well, if you look at Ridley Scott's movies, Ridley Scott, and the guy was now, he's 80 years old. You know, you can't argue like Trump. He's stuck in his ways. But Ridley no, Scott, no. throughout his career, Take away his talent as a filmmaker and all that stuff. He's always had a problem with imagery. I mean, you go back to Exodus. What was that movie he did? Exodus, uh, Gods and Kings. That was it. Right. In yeah. which he was asked, how come you didn't have uh, characters of color, particularly Middle Eastern um actors playing these roles in these movies? And his excuse was, well, I couldn't get the film financed. You know, but then he puts Joe Edgerton as Pharaoh. You know, n- naming a movie Joe Edgerton was in that made money. Well, I mean, when did this guy become a box office star? 
Exactly. Uh, but if you look name. throughout his career, he's always had this problem. But he's not the only one. He's not no, the, he's only, not the one. only one. Even yes. other people, other people who have been revered, who have been revered as being uh, forward-thinking, as being so progressive, even Joss Whedon. You know, I look back, and yes, of course, everyone has a fondness for Firefly, but why is it that even now you can't see it to be problematic that everybody is speaking Mandarin, but there is literally no Asian representation whatsoever? It is implied with everyone speaking effing Chinese that China has become the superpower of the earth, but there is literally zero Asian representation. So I'm, I'm yeah, not you know, surprised that you're telling me that in the year 2017 that this masterpiece, and yes, I've heard many people already who have seen uh, Blade Runner 2049 call it as such. Okay, we'll see. I'll take a look. But well, I wouldn't go that far. It doesn't shock me. It doesn't shock <laughs> me that you're telling me in 2017 nothing Nothing has changed. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm, I, I remember this, and, and, and of course, Sergio's dead on point. That uh, and in the Mary Sue, shout out to the Mary Sue dot com. This was in 2014 about the gods, uh, Exodus gods and kings, and he says, I'm reading this verbatim uh, about the whole issue of you know, again, you, you have a, a story about Egyptian gods and Egyptian people, and you don't seem to have Middle Eastern or Africoid people involved. And he says, I can't mount a film on this budget, uh, of this budget, where I have to rely on tax rebates in Spain and say that my lead actor is Mohammed so-and-so from such-and-such. I'm just not going to get it financed, so the question doesn't even come up. But, I mean, uh, okay, I don't, I don't really buy that, but even with a film that's about, not about really a, a region, this is the future, where we, you would expect, first of all, I, I like Ryan Gosling, but I would have preferred not to see Ryan Gosling, which is like a, a you know, you, you, just, you just replaced Harrison Ford 30 or 40 years in, in time. Like you could have had a man of color or even a woman of color in that role in this time. It would have made more well, sense. Well, I mean, well, well, um, I, you have to see the movie. I there to perhaps there's a reason why they cast him. You have to see the picture. I'm not going to give it away. Right. But uh, but there are many other characters in the film. Robin Wright. Is it Robin Wright again? That part could the her part. Uh, it, it could have been played by an actress of color. It could have been played by an actor of color. Jerry Leto, which is not a big part. His part. You would have been played by an actor of uh, somebody of color. There are many roles in this movie that could have been played by an actor, an actress of color. You know, there were many opportunities. Instead, they give it to Lenny James, who's in it for five minutes, and he's embarrassed. And that, to me, that's the worst scene in the movie, you know? How much um, of the movie and, is oh, man. I won't give it away. But the, the thing is, it also reminds me of Noah. You know, Darren Aronofsky, what an over, overrated filmmaker if ever there was one. But when he made Noah, and there was good criticism, then once again, it was an all, almost all-white cast for Noah. And the, uh, co, the co-screenwriter, and I remember writing about this in Shadow and Act, 
the co-screenwriter of the movie, said the reason they didn't cast people of color in the movie was, to put it another way, it would have taken people out of the movie. So, in other words, if you're watching a film and all of a sudden you see a black person, oh my God, the black person's in the movie. I can't believe it now. Which is the lamest excuse, and it's a bullshit excuse. You know, but that was their thing. But wait a minute, what, what was the film that, um, oh man, what's his face? Uh, Mel Gibson did that was in a completely different language. And it made uh, a uh, whole uh, um, apocalypto. Apocalypto. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, you you can you can actually go there and, and honor the, the the source historical material. See, some of the stuff is either it's biblical history or or uh, conventional history, and you can still have it as authentic as I think people at this point want things to be really authentic. I don't think it's you don't want to see biblical history where you're dealing with the Middle East and Africa, and you have folks, you know, pale, complected people with British accents. I mean, <laughs> they're going to go back into they're going to go back into um, Cleopatra. I'm hearing. Now, I don't want to see Elizabeth Taylor, 2018, 2019. I mean, if you go into that, I mean, it's going to be embarrassing. And it's this stuff is we say, we talk, we spoke about this ad nauseum that we're at the point now we're at the singularity where the public is absolutely rejecting this stuff like that the old Hollywood standard as what Claire says white as normative or white as what's the word you how you always put it um, Claire the default default thank you white as the default they're not it's not making it's not, they're not making any money. Gods and kings lost money. I mean, come on. No one wants this. I'm ready for subtitles, to be honest with you. Yeah, unfortunately, yes, they are planning Cleopatra again. But they're looking at the director, Denise Villeneuve, who did, you know, Blade Runner. They're looking at him to direct the picture. Now, I don't know if they cast somebody yet. I remember a, a few years ago they wanted... Uh, gosh, what's her name? They wanted uh, Angelina, Angelina Jolie yeah. Yeah. to play Cleopatra. I don't know if that's still going on. You didn't know? she already play Cleopatra? I mean, no, didn't she, she hasn't. And, and she was going to do it. And, and Colin Farrell? Yeah, she played in some period Oliver piece. Stone movie? It was Troy. Yeah. She played in Troy. Helen. Did you play Helen? No, 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 no. No, no. no you, mean, Colin Colin you mean Farrell. Alexander. Alexander. Alexander, yes. She played yeah. some well, form of that crap. Yeah, you know. Uh, I'm so done with that genre, the swords and sandals. No. Yeah. Enough. Enough with these Clash of the Titans BS movies, okay? Enough. Well, what was the other movie that came out last year that was a tremendous flop? It also was another movie about Egyptian kings or something. They had God, one black God, guy in it. Gods of Egypt. So, yeah, right. That came and your boy, your, your man was in that uh, Black Panther, and he was looking like a fool in that. Yeah, uh, totally. Chad well, that was a paycheck role, no doubt. Um, though he is playing Marshall, I actually am seeing that this week. Yeah, see, that, uh, that Thurgood Marshall. Me. That bothers me. Um, we'll see, but um, 
Man, he's yeah, you know, up all that role. Now, I'm is. sure Blade Runner it will do very well. Uh, is it a masterpiece? Um, no, it's really, really good, though. Um, but there is that problem, and that problem. And of course, the thing about it was, I was, I saw it with a bunch, you know, of critics, you know, and they were all raving about it. And I, it brought me back to when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, and you would watch TV, and anytime you saw a black person, you called the entire family because it was so rare. Um. And I'm looking at a picture, and I said, well, of course, they don't get it. I was practically, I think, the only black guy in the screening room. And, of course, they don't get it, you know, because when I see the film, I said, yes, this is a very good film, but we got that, this problem. That, well, Sergio, that's really the, the, the problem. I even mentioned this. I and think also, I'm supposed to clear about it. Let me well, add this. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, let me I want to mention this one thing. It, Okay. When I spoke to I spoke to Claire about this, we you know when I because what we do there are other of course other podcasts that talk about this kind of stuff, and I was incensed about uh, Collider. Collider's on YouTube, and Collider talked about this whole thing about um, Ghost in the Shell, and they were very flippant about the whitewashing thing, and they were talking about oh well you know uh, they were okay with uh, Asian Asian representation as just kind of a garnish on a plate where it's just you just kind of look at it from a distance but you know it you know that's one thing and he just kind of just moved along and i said this is exactly why you have to have podcasts of color blurs of color nerds of color uh film reviewers of color because these other folks are oblivious they could get they could care less the fact that this is a film about the goddamn future right and 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 whether they like it or not, in the next couple of decades, this is going to be a major a, a majority minority landscape. It is unavoidable. But you but they refuse to deal with that re, that reality in fiction is laughable. And these people that you were uh, looking at this film with, they just they just clueless. You can't have these. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's 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 crazy. Go ahead, sir. Well, you were no. just about to say what I was about to say. We need more serious intellectual black film critics there are there, there there are black reviewers and that's the word reviewer i love girls trip you should go see it it's fun that's not serious i'm not seeing that <laughs> i'm talking about serious real there's andre seawood it's an excellent one. I mean, he can take a movie and break it down, and particularly in terms of the racial politics. And I remember when, um, a few months ago, when um, when Dunkirk came out, there were immediately there were some serious British critics of color in England talk about the fact that there were actually, in reality, many British Indian soldiers who were at Dunkirk who you never see in the movie, you know. Um, we need more stuff like that. We need, we don't have enough. Well, I was one. But we don't have enough serious black film critics who could look at a film like Blade Runner. You know, most of the black reviewers are going to say, it's a great movie, go see it. But we need to, more people to break this stuff down. Now, I'm predicting there probably will be some. There probably will be some articles bringing this out. I hope so. When the movie comes out, we'll see. Um, 
But, you know, to me it's never enough and it always has to be talked about because, um, like I said, I, I was watching this film and I said, you know, Jesus Christ, this is 2049. The whole yeah. world by then is, you know, that white people are in the distinct minority by then. About to say, um, you know, if, if things are going to be all, if things are going to really be honest, this should be this should right. be a majority minority film for 2049. But, right. You know, uh, and all in all respect to Dave Bautista, Bautista's of part Filipino descent, but again, it's it, you know, one man is not enough to really kind of give the gravitas for for uh, Asian representation as would be one black person, whatever. I mean, it, it is what it is, but it's not it's not what it really should be for 2049. Go ahead. <laughs> you just y'all need to stop complaining. We got Medea Boo Two coming out and we got four of the D challenge videos we can that'll we can okay. watch. Come on. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad I didn't even go with it. That's gonna be a Wednesday. I think Daryl's gonna make an appearance on Wednesday show. Yeah, that, that, that right there, that for the D and for the P. Um that's a you know, uh, Gabriel Union. Wasn't Gabriel Union a rape victim? See I remember I Yeah, she was. Yep. You wouldn't know it. By this time, how she moving to Cleveland for the D or what? And even, and even, um, well, she said it in a rap, and also, and also, uh, uh, some a woman I have great admiration for. HU's not looking that good, uh, Bison. Um, Debbie Allen was singing for the D. Mature woman being directed, being directed by a white woman. Y'all, can you go a little wider to the camera? Go a little bit. Wider. I want you to come in, and then I want you to do the dance, and then what? crazy the, those paychecks man you know you, you have people that, that are real sloppy with it because unfortunately you know you don't have an infrastructure um, people of color actors are constantly in a position to have to go from gig to gig and you got to work you got a mortgage so I, that's the only thing i can think of but i mean although i will say jokingly but not so jokingly that you know she yeah, still has people, some i got a one question i want to ask you woman, and i asked this still, natasha yesterday this may be slightly going off the subject but i, I i've been thinking about this do you think that you remember there was a, a of course back in the 1920s there was a battle for black folks i'm coming um sorry um there was a battle for the soul of black folks between Garvey and Dubois, okay? Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's a similar one going on right now between hood culture and blurs? <sighs> yeah. You know what? We'll, yeah, we'll leave that for Wednesday show. <laughs> that, no, uh, you know okay. how I already feel about that. You, you know. <laughs> I think, there, I think there's right a continuous right thing that are trying to. We got about 12 minutes, 12 minutes remaining. All I will say is, and this is all respect to our friend Bison at Howard University, of Howard University. You have uh, one of your esteemed graduates, uh, and a well-known, well-known actress uh, and choreographer, Debbie Allen, doing uh, the booty shake for wanting to wanting to be this viral campaign. And you have uh, Cardi B showing up for the Howard Homecoming. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's a wrap. Okay, so that's that's a Wednesday. I'm not going to go into that. We got about 11 minutes remaining. Quickly, let's move things a little bit. I'm going to keep the lines all open. I don't know if I'm excited about this because there's been so many mistakes with this franchise from from since since its inception. David Carradine's Kung Fu series. Now, you know we know David Carradine and the Carradine acting family, but uh, as a kid, and I don't, I I only looked at Kung Fu in syndication. But even, but even 
I always thought it was crazy that you had white people pretending to be Asian. I just, just from the, I just thought it was crazy that it was popular. I mean, I from the beginning, it's like this doesn't sound, this doesn't look right. So it, it, they did it once, then they rebooted it again with more white people pretending to be Asian. <laughs> and but this time around, now almost fifty years since this damn th- this damn thing was created. Now you, you it's a, a gift that if they, they're talking about a female Asian lead for the Kung Fu TV series. So, I have no idea. And actually, is this going to be Netflix? That might be. That might me. That might be make me feel better. Actually, do you know anything about this, Sergio? Is this a Netflix Kung Fu TV series? I haven't heard about it, but I think you're right. It's like you mean now doing this. <laughs> well, you know what? If it's on Netflix, I might want to be in that. Uh, we know that. Uh, what's the other one that's on AMC TV? Uh, that's oh, in the Badlands? In the Badlands? Yes. It, yeah. Okay. It Into better be on that lines. tip. It better be on that tip, at the very least, choreography-wise and the whole nine. But I, I don't know. I mean, this is, we're going back into, you know, rehabbing an old house. You know, the, the, the politics behind the kung fu thing, it's crazy because there's even in, it's even in dispute because it's been long time believed that Bruce Lee – Really was the brainchild for this for the Kung Fu series, and it was always this thing about. And this is before he became this international superstar, and he died tragically at like 33 years of age. But he was supposed to be the that dude. But it was this thing about again, not that dissimilar from a black person on TV. Can we handle Asian features on TV? I mean, that's how that, that's how the effery. It, it's. It's crazy out here, man. We're going back. Well, no, Bebert, I, 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 I can actually think of I can actually think of a movie because I've seen it that's actually worse than that. You, we have always seen throughout the decades white actors playing Asian characters, you know, yeah, with the bad correct. makeup it's job. A long time. But the worst one is a movie called a movie from the mid '40s called Dragon Seed, in which it takes place in China during World War II. And the lead is played by Katherine Hepburn. Ugh. So try to imagine Katherine Hepburn in really bad makeup playing a Chinese woman, peasant woman. With that quiver. With that vocal quiver. Well, uh, Rex Harrison also was the king of Siam at around the same time. You know, I saw it this morning. It was on American, it was on Turner Classic Movies. They had it this morning. <laughs> you mean, I mean Anna and the listen. King of Siam. I, I have that in my collection. I mean, I guess it's a precursor to um, to to uh, Yul Brynner. Is that correct? It's the same story. Yeah, it's the same story, right? They just turned right. it, it was turned to a Broadway musical, then turned to a movie with Yul Brynner, right? But this it made me think. Like this, this is a long. I mean, we call, we're still doing this. I mean, you know, uh, listen, we had to, we we had to deal with white people uh, pretending to be black. I mean, we're still kind of having that discussion, but. Um, it's less so, but you know they kind of go in and out of it. But this is a repeated offense where you you clearly have white people being like being Asian. Like wh- why can't you just have like an, the, an you know Asian people are here? Why can't you just like have an Asian person? Why what is it with white folks trying to be Asian for a production? I mean, that, it, in the 21st century, especially, 
Okay. Well, I mean, you like even had, of course, thing. white actors playing black act black persons, and I'm talking about, you know, some minstrel show in blackface. But there'll be movies where it usually was a woman who was supposed to be like attractive, you know, so they would put very light brown makeup on her, um, as a very attractive black woman or mulatto. That was very common. That was. That went on for decades as well. I mean, it's just or and play Native um, Native Americans, or Indians, or um, you know, it's it's you know, you can't go back in a time machine and correct. They're trying. It. <laughs> They're trying though. This twenty first century surgeon is still doing this. They're still doing. Well, it. yeah. I don't it's, think it's gonna well, work. It's tragic. This whole uh, kung fu remake thing, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to work. They're going to put it on Fox. What? Oh, it's on Fox? Yeah. Oh, I sent it that. <laughs> I, I, was, I was hoping, <laughs> listen, I was hoping it was going to be on Netflix. I would have given it, I would have taken it more seriously. Forget it, the last 13 weeks, then they'll cancel it. No, one, it'll one last other thing. two and a half. One other thing, and this is we got about five minutes. We got to start wrapping things up. Um, there's another controversy, but I, I think it's a controversy for people who are enlightened. I, I don't know. They, they they go full steam ahead with this stuff. Uh, the Gifted series, the X Men Mutant series, uh, uh, another Fox property. They have a Latin X character on there, and already folks are kind of saying that okay, you, you know, you have Latin Latin representation, a Latin superhero. But then people are noticing that they're going into he is an immigrant with a drug history, uh, you know, on the lamb from from a drug de- drug dealing situation. So people are saying, okay, wait a minute, we got a Latin mutant hero, but he's got to have. But why is it that he's got to be uh, an undocumented immigrant with a drug thing? That's that's playing into a stereotype. I have to say the same thing. Like that, that's kind of tired. You know, Narcos is on Netflix. That was a real situation, but do we still got to have that in our in our fiction also? Twenty first century. <laughs> you know, you have Sonia Sotomayor, Sotomayor Bariqua from Bronx, who is a uh, you know who who is a Supreme Court justice. I mean, you know. I know friends of Latin descent personally that are that are professionals, you know, with degrees, you know. I mean, what? what, what I mean, let's face it. That's, that's always been the, that's always been the thing. That's always been the thing. They will try these genre shows, right? They'll they'll try a Firefly. They'll try Almost Human. They'll try Minority Report. They'll give it a shot, right? But at the end of the day, it's Fox. It's Fox. It's Fox News. It's the it's the the Murdoch family. I mean, c- give me a break. I mean, who is your audience? Who are you catering to? You are catering to an audience who believes what the president believes, and that all yeah. Latins, all Mexicans, are murderers, rapists, drug cartel scum. And some are good people. <laughs> and maybe a couple. <laughs> maybe a couple. Oh, oh, by the way, this may be one hope in the horizon. The HBO. Remake of Fahrenheit 451, oh. um, which stars um, Michael B. Jordan in the lead. 
and the, the actress who's playing this wife is I cannot recall her name, but she's the uh, the actress who played the girlfriend in Spider Man Homecoming. Oh, okay, all right, uh, right. That's who's playing his wife in the series. Um, I forgot who's directing it. It's an interesting director. Interesting and this choice. Is HBO? I, I forgot who it is, but I that should be coming out sometime next year. And I said, well, okay, if you can have, because in the film version, of course, it was all white, but that was mid-60s, the Francois Truffaut version. And at least there's, at least in this version, you know, they're saying, well, okay, this is the future. Let's have a black hero, you know, with a black wife, you know. So um, let's see what goes on from that. May I remind everyone here that uh, 24 uh, with uh, your man on it, I forget his name right now. That didn't go anywhere. And it was a great show. Yeah, I was disappointed with that. The the show was played out. I wish they had brought him in earlier. Um, Because I saw that season, and it was okay, but the whole premise, the whole concept of the show was just simply played out. Well, the unfortunate part, and we got to close shop, gentlemen, but the unfortunate part is they'll, they'll give you a shot, but they'll give you one shot. And if you don't work, then that's the end of it. They, with, uh, with the default characters, going back to, uh, to, to Claire, they'll keep on giving it you a shot until you get it right. We don't get that opportunity. <laughs> we get one shot, that's it, that's it for you. See you in 20 years. That's just what it is. Gentlemen, as always, we had a Sunday show. We'll, go, we'll be back, same bad channel, same bad time for Saturday, 6 p.m. It's been a pleasure. Sergio, always appreciate you coming, coming through with your highlights. Uh, we'll do it again. This is facetious. Carrie Foe. Next week, folks. It's been real. Why are you calling a... Yo, baby.